You were born with individual strengths and a unique purpose. Don't let fears, false beliefs, or life's happenings diminish your influence. It's time to live and lead for impact. Host Kirsten Ross, expert of transformation, will help you defeat the drama and overcome the trauma that can stop you in your tracks. You'll gain focus, find confidence, and take bold action. Unleash passionate, purposeful you. Let's go. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Ross Vogel, your host, and this is episode 307. I have a really cool person today. His name is Gary Barnes, and he's a high-performance business and sales strategist, national and international speaker with over a thousand talks, a number one international Amazon best-selling author, and has been featured on ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, PBS, and TEDx. In 1988, Gary was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and told he would be in a wheelchair or dead within 10 years. He was, since then, I'm assuming, he has flown a World War II P-51 fighter, flown on a trapeze, driven in a destruction derby, and climbed a 14,000 foot mountain. He's a drunk. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not, uh, that is 14,000 foot mountain. So he's done that more than once. He's a drummer and police Academy graduate. I can't wait to talk to you and learn more, Gary. Welcome. Well, thank you so much, Kirsten. Yeah, it just, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, it sounds like it. So tell me a little bit more about your adventures. I need to know. I'm assuming all of those things have happened since 1988. You're showing them. No, actually, some of those actually happened when, well, like driving in the Destruction Derby was when I was 17 years old. And so I've always loved adventure. People think I'm an adrenaline junkie and I'm not. I really don't like the feeling of that pre-adrenaline. It's a, I, I enjoy it more when it's after the fact and the adrenaline starts drifting away. But now I just look for, you know, life is a, a, a compilation of adventures and memories. And that's what I look for. So you have created some interesting memories and I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. So it's not in the moment that adrenaline that you're feeling surging because, you know, maybe your life's in danger and you're exerting a lot of energy and all of that, but the feeling after, so what's that feeling after for you that you're seeking? You know, for me, it's that feeling of satisfaction of completing something. It's like in my bio, I have given over a thousand talks. I've done television, radio, you know, obviously podcasts, person, you know, just speaking on some very large state stages and small stages. And I'm always nervous beforehand. And to me, that is a signal that I'm ready. And if that wasn't there, there would almost be a feeling of ego that I was getting in the way of the real purpose that I was there. And I can actually enjoy the moment. But once I'm in the exercise, whether it be on a mountain, flying an airplane, you know, doing those things, then all that nervousness goes away immediately. Interesting. So it reminds me. And so, and I'm a speaker too, and I have that same feeling. And I love that. I, I think, I don't know if it's an intentional thing. We, maybe we can talk about it, but the, that the energy that ignites within you, I think it's possible to feel it as fear, or you can flip it into anticipation and excitement. Absolutely. In fact, the brain waves of fear and excitement are identical. We're just using different words for that. 
Ooh, I love that. This is, I've been reading so much. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a bookaholic and so I'm always reading and definitely this is the genre that, that I love. But anyway, I'm, I'm literally have a book on my Kindle right now that is diving in deeper to all those kinds of topics. So how interesting that our conversation is going in that direction. Um, but yes, being intentional to see it as opportunity and excitement and being ready instead of, oh, no fear. This is a feeling that I need to avoid. And maybe we could do that with more things where we're allowing fear to stop us. See it as an opportunity instead. Well, and fear it has two elements. It can stop us or it can motivate us. And, in, you know, my police background, we are taught to run towards gunfire, not away from it. And that is a little bit backwards from what the human <laughs> yeah. you know, really wants. But the, the, I think it really goes down to what's our mission, what's our purpose. And for some things like for me, flying or jumping off you know, trapezes or whatever, it's what is the purpose as far as, and very little that I do, I don't share then in the future from stage. Because one of the things that I have found is people need permission to engage in life. And so when we're leading by example, then it gives them the opportunity to decide for themselves whether or not they're going to do that. And when we're on stage, the prayer that I pray every time, no matter what it is, is let me touch one. And when I do that, it's no longer about me. It's about serving and it's about having that that you know, that, that feeling that there was a reason that I was invited to be on that stage or program, whatever it is that I'm doing. And when we do that, we can get out of ourselves and do it anyway. Yes. I want to talk to, okay, now you're diving into another topic that I is so <laughs> interesting to me, which is the mindset of a speaker. And uh, so one, that sense of purpose that can, yes. And that's what can help us catapult you know, have the tenacity to catapult through those, that discomfort that we might feel just before. But also how about this one? Cause you talked about like the prayer of, can I reach just one? And mine is always like, can I have the words that land or are useful for at least some, I think I say at least some instead of one, but I think back to when I first, which is a gajillion years ago, <laughs> first started speaking and I think when I first started, I felt this element of trying to control and, and feeling responsible for the outcomes that people would achieve from hearing me, which is not right, <laughs> but the weight of that responsibility and the extra like anxiety that it could bring with the weight of that responsibility when really I needed to release control, which I didn't have anyway but, and really focus on the work, you know, just being myself and knowing that some were gonna, some of what I would say would land with some other pieces would land with others. And some of it might not go anywhere, but my job was just to bring it and not control the outcomes or what would land and what wouldn't. You know, you're so right. And years ago, I, I had been around Zig Ziglar forever. We, my wife and I started out with Jim Rohn way back in the day with Tony Robbins in our class living in his Volkswagen bug. So I'm not old. I'm just older. But one of the last times that right before Zig got really sick and was not able to be on stage anymore, 
he was here in Denver and was doing, also he had, by the way, one talk. I knew where the redhead story was coming in and mm -hmm. all the different things he did. And when he got done, there was a break and there was two ladies behind me and they started ragging on him. You know, can you believe that so-and-so? And I almost turned around and said something and I wish I had. And if I had of, this is what I would have said. Thank you. Because at that moment, I knew if Zig Ziglar could not get the entire audience, there was no way that I was going to, and that was not my purpose. And so I gave a talk. I was on a live stage last week, and I had mentioned, you know, that I'd say a prayer, let me touch one. And this woman comes up afterwards, and she goes, I just want you to know, I am the one. Mm. And most of the time, we don't know. And right. that's not the purpose either, because it, it's not about, I, I consider being a speaker or a communicator. Let's do it that way. As we touch other lives, it's about being a conduit. And it's what I also call the nudge. And if I'm thinking about what I'm saying, then I'm not listening to the audience and adjusting what I'm engaging with at that moment. And inevitably, I will... You know, somewhere in my talk, I will hear or I'll think about a story or a saying or something, and I honor that nudge. And inevitably, people come up and say, you know, that story you did, that was what I came for. That was, you know, going, okay, it's not about me. And they go, you're so smart. I go, well, I'm smart enough to listen and to be able to be that conduit, to be able to serve the people that are in the room. Yes. You know, and I think this is another thing I like to think about too, is that sometimes the, the outcome or whatever it is, you know, something we say might just plant a tiny seed. <laughs> and so it's also about the patients or maybe they'll tell someone else something and then that's where it happens, you know? So it is just, you just never know. And we have zero control. I, I call it the little time bombs that we can plant, mm. you know, all of a sudden something goes off later and they go, Oh. Okay, and they know how to apply what it is, but it really, to me, is not about converting an audience. It's not about closing. It's it's about connecting and being relevant for why you were given the honor to be on that stage. And like I, I told you before we started, you know, I'm here to serve you and your community, not to get people to do something else afterwards. If people do, great. If they don't, it's not a problem. I'm here because I truly believe there are no accidents. Well, and the beautiful thing about that, you're you're giving yourself the freedom to just be in the moment and focus and not put the extra pressure of these unrealistic expectations like that again, we have zero control over. And then our focus ends up being there instead of where it should be. But also what that does is it gives those that we're communicating with, and this is, yeah, whether it's from the stage on a podcast or just one-on-one, -on -one, the freedom to have their own experience, take their own action. I call it the oomph. Like there's no oomph in <laughs> what I'm communicating and that I'm attached to some specific outcome. And then the person is feeling that instead of being in the moment and, and having this connection. You know, it's often I'm asked after I do a talk or a program, they say, well, how did it go? And I, my answer always is, well, ask somebody that was there because I don't know what I said. Mm -hmm. And that to me is that indication that I was there, like you're saying, in the moment. 
because I'm not thinking, I'm not, you know, remembering. I go, did I finish that thought? (laughs) (laughs) And I think in in a lot of ways, it feels a little, the analogy of flying on a trapeze without a net. But at the same time, it, like what you just said also, is that it is very freeing because you're able to be there and truly be in, you're talking with the audience. You're not talking at the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those, uh, and placing unrealistic expectations on ourselves, you know, so there's like the, the experience that we're trying to, you know, that we're creating for the audience, that connection, that feeling that those feelings of ahas or, or just like, oh, I can relate to that story. And gosh, we could probably have a whole long conversation about storytelling too. But also, again, if we're putting that extra pressure on us by evaluating our success or failure based on these outcomes that really are outside of our control. That also leads us to like some feelings of disappointment and all the yuck feelings instead of just setting realistic expectations to just, you know, the one like you talked about. Well, you know, when I train speakers, one of the things that I talk about is what are you really wanting? And for me, it's relationship and whatever that looks like, you know, small, large, long, short, and the ability to be the same on stage as off. I want my communication as I'm on stage to be the same as when I get off and I'm able to greet people and speak to people, not to have a persona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I like that too. Well, so you started talking about training speakers. And so let's talk about your work and the impact that you're making in the world. You know, what I do now is somewhat of a happy accident because my early background was psychology and theology. I I was a pastor for a couple of years and I was a square peg in the round hole because I truly ask questions. I I look outside the box and that can disrupt people's, you know, sense of security. And then I went into real estate. I was putting myself through college and spent nine years there and then built one of the very first financial planning firms in the country to the top 3% in production. Sold it about 17, 15, 16, 17 years ago. I need to go back and look at that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what people were doing, my clients were asking me, how did I build my business to such a high level so quickly? And so I started trading, you know, buy me a hamburger, (laughs) spill my guts. And then so it organically transitioned into the business coaching And because of my early background, I'm a little bit unique because I am a business coach that includes life. So I'm not a life coach, but I blend that in because of the ability there. And then people have come to me and said, okay, what else? How do I communicate? How do I get on stages? What is it? And it's about being genuine, authentic, having your message, crafting your message so that your perfect client, your perfect connection out there that you're wanting to touch sees you and start being drawn to you. And whether it be marketing in a product or service that we work with or, you know, doing it from stage, television, it it really doesn't matter. It's about being that uniquely you and being able to step into your, what I call your light, because I ask audiences all all the time, are you a celebrity? And most people say no. And I go, well, here's my definition. How am I different from not better than? So I'm not in competition. And so once they are able to be seen, 
that is something that allows people to even be aware of who they are, what they have to offer, and how they might be relevant within that. But they do it in a safe way. If we're truly safe without an agenda to get an outcome, then I think that's what I have found to be that, that what I call now the people, you become a people magnet. And when we have that, then we can, you know, be in the timing of other people and, and really serve. Yeah, we're not. And um, I love that you're doing that. I'm curious now when you're helping people kind of craft a message, is it mostly for how they'll communicate, you know, either from a stage or in person, whether it's, you know, via Zoom or a phone call or at a networking event, whatever, or are you also helping craft messages like digital messages? Yes, it's all of that. So it's because today we say, people ask me, should we, you know, just do the digital or should we be doing on stage or doing interviews, whatever? And I go, yes, because we don't know where our, our audience is today. And so I, in, let me back up a second, because a lot of training around sales and business is find your, find your niche. And my concept of the niche is what pain point do you solve? Because, you know, my, my practice, my clients range from small businesses, startups to manufacturing firms. They're professionals, they're doctors, dentists, psychiatrists, business owners, the brick and mortar, online, just, so there's a variation, but their pain point that they're looking for is that they're frustrated with the return on the investment of time, money, and energy. They're great at what they do, but they don't know how to get to that. I hate calling it the next level, but their next level of success with what they're wanting to accomplish. And so when we do that, we're opening up a lot more parameters. And the unique thing for me too is 85% of my clients are women and I don't market to women. But one of the things that my modality is Socratic to where I ask questions. So I'm not there telling you, drop and give me 20, you know, do this my way. I consider what I do is a way. It's my way, but not the way. And so that marketplace has found me and it's just more of that organic. So that was a very long answer to a very short question. (laughs) For for me, it's really, yes. All of it. It's all of it. Okay. Well, and so I have to admit, I'm, this is like a personal question of mine (laughs) because I feel like it's difficult. It may be all that, you know, and I always assume if I have this question, others are going to have a similar question, but for me, I feel like my personality very much comes my real authentic, like who I am. Um, I can just be me from a stage in zoom, et cetera. But like when it comes to writing or like I'm using air quotes here, like sales copy, those kinds of things, like any kind of digital capture of me is super difficult for me. Writing for me is the same way. I call it like I have now I'm credited with 10 books and writing. They're wanting two more from me this year yet, but it's painful. And one of the things that, because you mentioned in my my bio that I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, I never learned how to type in school. Plus, I have no feelings in my hands. So to type, I have two fingers. I call them Tweedledee and Tweedledum. And 
And I think way faster than that. So I use Dragon, professionally speaking, the, it's by a company, of, of Nuance is the company. Uh, you can get it at any of your, you know, supply stores, uh, Office Supply or online, just go to say Nuance. The name of the, say the name of the software again? It's Dragon. Professionally. Oh, yes. Dragon, yeah. And it's gotten so good. And one of the things that people have told me about some of my books is that it sounds just like me. And there's a reason for it. I spoke the book and then obviously it was edited because, you know, if we just transcribe what we say, it many times does not make sense. But the thing is, is that your voice is what we want to capture. We want to not have you, you know, I, I never write a book to get a Pulitzer Prize or to be totally in line with the grammar or the, you know, the, the quote, right way to write. But I want to communicate the story. I want to communicate the process. I want to, to be able to have that connection with someone that they connected in the writing, whether it be an article, whether it be, you know, even in an email, I do my, my emails with Dragon as well. So my suggestion for you is instead of struggling with writing as a singular, you know, old fashioned way of just sitting down and writing, try the, and I don't use the word try, so just use Dragon and see if it works for you and capture your voice and it will come out much quicker as well. I like that. I have not done that. So I have written some books and I do feel like I capture myself in there, but it's like, so I think I mean the, you know, when you're trying to do an ad or trying to, you know, in a quick little snippet, do you, yep. how, you know, the, the, like, again, that copy, you know, or if it's like a Facebook ad, so it's a little bit longer, you know, how do you, in those moments capture, and it's so easy to get well, one, I'm a, I have a, bad habit. And again, I'm asking because maybe other people, oh, sure. thing, but yeah, I, cool. I am terrible with a litter. I'm, I love alliteration. I'm a, I'm a way too attached to it. I'm kind of addicted to alliteration and like the sounds of words. And so sometimes I might look for cool sounds of phrases or words or titles versus being simpler about what I really mean. And so just in those quick little moments, I'm like, how do you capture a personality in, in those quick little moments? And well, the personality and the relevance is are the two things that I look for. One of the processes that I use is a process of so what to so that. A lot of times when we look at an ad or we look at a long sales letter, it's more of a so what. You, know, you lose weight. Okay, so what? There is no energy to it. But mm -hmm. when we translate that to a so that, what is the real reason that somebody would want to do that? What are their pain points that they could say, you understand? Mm -hmm. Really, that's that when somebody looks at an ad and, and even the articles or anything where we want to communicate, I want people to read it that are ready to engage with something that I have to offer is I want them to say that person understands on some level. And so I like bullet points as well instead of narrations because people, <laughs> the studies that have been around the old fashioned newspapers, you know, newspapers that used to be around, but even in magazines, people will read the title, they'll read the header 
to determine whether or not they're going to invest any more time in the, the copy. And so a lot of times I will write a ad where I'll have three questions at the beginning. And that is the pattern interrupt for people to say, oh, golly, I want to know a little bit more. And then they go down into the, the body of the communication. Mm -hmm. So we live in such a barrage of information. In fact, all of the information that was created from the, the Gutenberg Press to 1987, we get all of that information every single day. We mm -hmm. are bombarded with white noise. And so to do something to where they the, there's a word or a short phrase that goes, oh, who are you? That's almost like you walk into a store, there's a little baby. That little baby is a pattern interrupt. When it goes back, it may be, you know, we're grandparents or whatever, or a puppy. You know, what what is what is it that could make us unique in a way to where we're not so much a so that, but a curiosity? Okay, that's helpful. Thank you for that. So what you have a wealth of just really intriguing experiences through life and what of those experiences has motivated you to focus on creating this unique impact in the world? You know, part of my mission statement is to make a difference and to empower, but not my power to you, but help you connect the power that's already within you. And some of, you know, when I was 20 years old, I was doing my chaplaincy training at a hospital. And before they allowed us into the emergency room or on the oncology, the cancer ward or anything where there was a lot of death and dying, we had to attend our own funeral. We had to write our own epitaph. We had to write what was going to be on our tombstone. So in essence, at 20 years old, and actually I was almost 21, that, that was really old back then, we had to deal with our own mortality. And so I think that helped me go to like what Stephen Covey said, start with the end in mind. That is the exact quote that's just been running through my head as you were saying that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what, what makes the journey worthwhile? And to be able to have impact for whatever it is that I can leave as a conduit, a message for future generations. Like I said, you know, Jim Rohn was one of my early mentors. And some people now don't even know who Jim was. He's passed away about, what, four or five years now. But his message, his, you know, program is still viable. It's still out there. Zig Ziglar the same way. And it's not about me. It's not about having my name on a building somewhere on a college campus saying this is the library of me. That, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking to, for that ongoing planting a seed of a tree that you'll never sit under impacting a life generations generations from now of a gift that I was given. So if I have a gift that I can repackage and share again, to me, that is really neat. I, I and, and again, it's not about ego. It's not about being forgotten, but it's about you know, it's also said that, you know, it's really sad when somebody has a book inside them, a song inside them that they died without releasing. Another friend of mine said, what is the greatest song that has ever been written? 
and he owns a recording studio. They're into the music industry. And I said, okay. And I gave him a, he goes, no, it hasn't been written yet. And that gives permission for all of us to be able to release and to impact and have significance, purpose, instead of just being a carbon unit that connected one generation to the next. That was so powerful. And I think another little nugget that beyond the obvious and in, in all that you just said that I want to highlight right now, I want to talk a little bit about ego because I find so often that people can be stopped out of a fear of being self-centered or of appearing, or even maybe they have this sense of it's all about my ego. And we also don't want to be stopped by that. And the mindset shifts or the, the assurance that if we're focused on helping others, not the comparisons, uh, not trying, like you said, like, it's not about getting your name on a building at a university. Like those would be kind of me centered, you centered things. But if it's really about the impact that isn't about your ego. And also if we can be great about celebrating other people's successes, other people's strengths and gifts and all of that, we all bring such unique things to this world. Absolutely. You know, for me, it's also when you mentioned the word competition or, you know, comparing yourself to someone else, um, my personality is such that if I was to compete with you, I would want to back up and allow you to win. And this happened for me years and years ago. There was a, I was installing a, a phone system in my financial planning office, and the young lady that was the sales agency asked me, who is your competitors? Who are your competitors? And immediately what came out of my mouth was no one. And as I heard it come out, I thought, it was, well, that's a little egotistical until I realized that if I compete with myself, I always win. If I compete with someone else, one of us has to lose. And so I'm not in competition with anybody else. I know I'm not, just like with Zig Ziglar, he wasn't the thing for everyone. But we've given this purpose. When we really attach the reason that we're doing what we're doing. And I've used this illustration over the years too. I don't care if your product or service is a toothpick. At some point, it affects somebody's life. It affects the ability for people to earn a living, to uh, provide for their family, to allow their choice. And so it's not what we do or not do. It's allowing that, that gift of intuition this is what I'm doing because I really believe this is the impact that I'm supposed to leave on the world. And it doesn't have to be on stages. It doesn't have to be, you know, there's all kinds of ways of being able to leave an impact and be in a support role. So it's not always being in the limelight, but it is embracing who you are as valuable. Yes. And taking the action and, well, I think doing the work to gain clarity so that you understand the purpose, why you're doing what you're doing, which will give you the focus and tenacity. I think too often we just kind of ride that lazy river of life and bump along and wherever life takes us. And it's harder to have, to be tenacious in those moments because, you know, or move through difficulties, challenges, et cetera, because we don't have that passion, that sense of purpose that's helping to propel us. Well, over the years, my clients and people have said that I do certain phrases and they call them Garyisms. 
And one of them is opportunities are seldom convenient. And so when we really, that's where the mission and the passion, once it's there, it will allow us to go through what you're describing of the downturns. There, there, there is no straight line of, quote, success and accomplishment. There is a, you know, we do sidesteps, we have economy shifts, we have, you know, we just came through all this stuff with, you know, illness and disease in the world and wars and whatever. But if we're truly connected to that mission and passion, then we're willing to take that next step. And it's also one of the people who say, well, I want to get my momentum. And I go, well, momentum means movement, not speed. And this is where you, you know, you live in a part of the country, I do too, where if you're in snow or mud and you go too fast, you can just spin your wheels and you can put more energy to the wheel, but it's going to get you stuck faster. And the solution normally is to slow up, allow yourself to get some traction, and then to move out of that situation. And when we do that, we can be in rhythm and give other people that we actually connect with, with whatever that product or service and give them permission to be in alignment with their timing as well. I love that. And then you're giving me that, that visual, that was a great, yeah, a visual for just patience. And sometimes, yeah, taking our foot off the gas versus feeling like we need to propel at a specific speed again, which is another one of those hiccups that'll just have us feeling disappointed. Um, which is not how we want to feel. That is not going to ignite our energy more. But so, yeah, sometimes just having the patience to take the foot off the gas and understand that, you know, the actions aren't, always, you know, we're not always going to be moving as quickly as we want towards an end goal. Right. You know, and we live in a microwave society. (laughs) I mean, some people on this episode probably remember AOL dial-up. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine some of the people that have never experienced that hearing those tone, tones and having to wait for it to connect and instead of just going onto your computer doing one click and we're on Zoom. And they pro- they cannot visualize it all that on the other side of that wait was way more ready access to information than than we had prior to. Oh yeah, I mean we, we weren't driving to the library and going through the card catalog anymore. <laughs> Oh, you know, <laughs> which was very nice. Now we don't even do that. All we do is ask Siri. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't even have to yeah, type anything out. Gosh. Yeah. Who who wants to wait for that? <laughs> Get all the way to the laptop and type. Um, oh. you know, those of us that are a little older, you know, we walked uphill to school both ways. So exactly. Snow, and right. eight feet of snow. No. That's right. <laughs> and but you know, what we have and what's exciting for me is to see what's also coming and to give people permission. Our youngest son is a pastor of a very, well, one of seven pastors of a very large church. And he does the the college down to the little kids. And he was with a group of preteen, you know, the, you know, the 12, 13 year olds. And he asked them, if you had a preference of going back a hundred years or ahead a hundred years, what would you choose? And what was surprising to me, all but one said they wanted to go back a hundred years. And when he asked why, they said, because we don't think the world will be here in a hundred years. 
And so that put a passion inside of me too, is to give this, you know, this generation coming up hope because they don't know a world without, you know, terrorism and famine. They just, they haven't seen the cycles that we have had in the past. And when we have these young people coming up, if we don't have the ability to let them see beyond the obstacle, then that's, I think, where we're getting a lot of the teen suicide, the younger suicides, and where they just don't see any purpose or hope in going through the process. And so that's also a passion for me is to allow them to see that, you know, life is good. Life is a gift. Life is special. And, you know, what do you want to do with it? You can do anything you take your mind to, truly. I'm here 30 years later after they told me I was going to be dead. And so not that this is, again, the way. This is my way. And I did it without any, the things that I did around that in a visualization, I did without any guarantee that it was going to work. That's the other side. We, we want that predictability. But many times what we do there is no guarantee or real knowledge that it's going to work, but we go on faith that we are going to be okay and we can launch and adjust to whatever the next piece of that puzzle is. Yes, we can't hold on to predictability. And I think I'm going to highlight again, something you said there, we just have to know that we'll be okay. And I think that's so key. Like as we learn, as we go through tough times, we take on the learning you know, any tweaks that we needed to make in our actions, our mindset, all of those things, we take that along with us. And then the next time that we engage, you know, have to run up against something that's less than optimal, we have a few more tools in our tool belt. And sometimes I think we forget to think about that. Yes, I agree. My, I, the inscription I put in my first book, uh, that's the story of the S. Oh, something else I, I want to say about that is I never have said I have. I've never owned the diagnosis. I've always said I was diagnosed with, but the, the, and I lost my original thought. That was not good. The inscription in oh, your book. Yeah. Is, life is an adventure. Enjoy the ride. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that we always have our hands on the steering wheel. Right. And sometimes we enjoy it better when we realize that and focus where we can. Well, when, um, I flew, when I flew the P-51, I flew with a, a former F-16 pilot, and I was very glad that he was with me. Yeah, <laughs> I would think. Well, that's good. So you weren't, you weren't there by yourself. Yes. <laughs> you brought the right tools and resources with you. That's right. I wanted the experience. Yes. So... I am so intrigued by everything that you're sharing. And I, I do have to, as a side note, you keep talking about Zig Ziglar, who I did look up to all of my life. I actually, all the way back in high school, I don't even know if this still exists, but his program, See You at the Top, yes. I went through in high school and I had quite a few of his quotes on my bedroom wall when I was growing up. Yeah, it is still available. That was his first book, by the way, See You mm. at the Top. And the thing I remember most about the beginning of that book was he was overweight and he had set a goal to be a certain weight by the time he was finished writing the book. And he figured, okay, it was going to take him X number of weeks to do this. And he calculated that he was going to need an eighth of an ounce a day in order to reach his goal. 
And so he chunked it down. He broke it down in such a way to where it became manageable and trackable. And I've always remembered that model because sometimes we, it kind of relates to what we were just talking about, people wanting it now and speed. And it is that he put it in a way that he could accomplish the goal and have it be permanent. Which is, yes, another key element of success. Yeah, you got to chunk it down. And if the weight of the whole task project goal sits on your shoulders day one and you only visualize that, I mean, yes, you want to kind of keep your eye on the prize, but you want to have something to celebrate along the way if it's going to take some time. So um, you have shared so much value here. And I don't know if I'll be able to share value for, for you right now, but I'm going to try. So this is the part of the episode where I always ask for a current challenge that stands in the way for you in making your bigger, bolder impact to see if I might coach a little bit and share some strategies that again, would be helpful to you and to our listeners. So is there some kind of challenge that, that you're facing right now? You know, it, it's a challenge that I have had for a number of years in that my word, you know, people adopt a word to, to go through a particular year. And my word about five, six years ago became expansion. Mm -hmm. It's that opportunity to have a greater impact with more people. And again, it's not about ego. It, it's just about being able to share and have that, that ripple effect, mm -hmm. if you will, of some of the things that I have found beneficial in my life that others can benefit from. So it's that expansion of opportunity. Hmm. So, I mean, gosh, I'm talking to a person who helps others do that all the time. <laughs> <Get their word out. laughs> so, um, I feel like the only, the strategies that I would share with you are a little bit that kind of what we've peppered through this whole conversation is you know, that you've already shared and just utilizing it for yourself, breaking it down into the smallest steps. So you don't start to feel disappointed, having the patience, knowing the individual steps that you need to take to get there and just focusing there, not doing the comparison thing, which I'm sure that you're not because it's not about others and, and realizing it is about your impact. And I know a lot of people who are listening right now have that same thing. They're like, I know that I have value to provide for the world and I just need the opportunity to share this with more people. And so how do I do that? But, but I think we do have to pair that, you know, the energy that we have, the desire that we have to fulfill our purpose in a bigger way. So one, you know, just having the patience, setting realistic expectations and not so much on the outcomes that can be out of our control, but in the steps that we know should get us there and just having diligence and tenacity to stick with those and be consistent with those specific steps that we outline. But I mean, that's kind of in a nutshell, I think what we've talked about today. Yes. And I really appreciate that because we are still human. I am still human. There's days that I want to go faster. There's days that I, I you know, I just finished one of my multi-day business live events and over the years, I would start my day the very next day at nine o'clock and, you know, to take the time to re, as you, I think you use the word recalibrate mm -hmm. and to be able to put myself in a position of taking care of me in the process is a reminder for me to do that. Yes. With recalibrate, I often use realistic expectations too. So I think as we're 
setting the goals. And again, probably more focused on the actions that it can get us to the goals versus number of lives, et cetera. I mean, obviously if we're not gaining traction, then we might need to reset the actions that we're taking in some way. But I always like to talk about realistic expectations too. Cause like you talked about, we have different periods in our life where we have uh, more or less time for specific actions. And so another trip up is in setting expectations that aren't consistent with this, the, the season of life that we're in. You know, I was a single mom for many years. And during that period, I had to recalibrate expectations of myself in many areas. And so really, if we're not being realistic, we can either, you know, keep the goals exactly as they are and, and then feel frustrated either with ourselves or the things, which can often be our children as a single mom who are standing in the way of you achieving those goals and frustration isn't serving us, or we can be realistic and make sure, you know, that we're baking in all of the, well, back to Stephen Covey, you know, the, our rocks, right. (laughs) Put the rocks in first, let the little stuff fill in. So making sure that we're being really intentional with how we're using our time and setting our goals and that they're realistic based on the on the season that we're in this, the little story I tell that's so illustrative. Well, there's two and one was laundry and the other was my pool. I had a pool back then. And I, you know, when I was married and had a partner, it was always sparkly blue. And when I was a single mom, I could not have maintained that same sense of pride. And again, that was an ego thing anyway, but you know, I had to recalibrate my expectations of myself around that because I had two little elementary school boys who needed my time. Yeah, 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 it's funny how many times we think people are watching us and nobody cares. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nobody's looking. And that's why the journey, in my mind, has to be valuable to us. And for me, the, the ultimate is my family. I do what I do for my children, my grandchildren, my wife. That's a, a, a huge motivator for me. Yes. Same, same. And mine are grown now too. No grandchildren yet. And they're better not be for a little bit longer, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, you know, and I, you know, and so I can say I'm in a new season of life. And so empty nesting has definitely different priorities. And so it's always being about, take a look at your current circumstance, be realistic and uh, define and design your life in a way that you're not putting trip ups in your own way. Like make it easier to not get into the negative emotions of frustration, impatience, disappointment, and you or others along the way. Well, in something I, you know, it just occurred to me too, there's something I call the power of yes. And I have seen this in people where they're always going to do it someday. And the opportunities come up. And if it's the opportunity, my TEDx was actually that I was, I never applied to TEDx. TEDx called me to do TEDx. They wanted me to do the Beaver story, which is the MS story. And I, I said, oh, what's the date? Yes, I'll do it. And it was right in the middle of one of my multi-day events that I produced. And I said, well, my responsibility is to the people coming. So can I do the next one? I was thinking maybe the next month or whatever. And he goes, well, yes, but it's a year from now. And I started thinking about the power. Of, yeah, so we adjusted. My people got taken care of. They didn't know I had left to do it. I went up, did the TEDx, and got back to my event seamlessly, but we figured out how to do it. Instead of just saying, no, I can't, 
because of the opportunity that was there. Yes. So definitely blending. Yeah. You don't want, while you're setting the realistic expectations, mm, I'm going to say like, don't give yourself too much opportunity to say no or too much reason, et cetera. Cause they, yeah, that could be your lizard brain. And that's a whole nother topic, but, um, <laughs> but, Absolutely. but like my first book that I wrote was in 2010 and that I was a single mom and my boys were really little. And so I didn't say no to it. I just figured out what's the first step. The first step is writing it. How do I write it? Well, I am going to make the sacrifice and powerfully choose, you know, to get up super early every morning so I can write for three hours before they get up. And so, yeah, there are, but just making sure again, that it's realistic and you're under, you know, but I had to do that with the understanding. I was going to be tired, <laughs> but it was okay. Cause it was for a period. I could do that for a period. Well, yes. so yeah, you have already given so many words of wisdom, but I'm going to ask you for just one more. And what words of wisdom do you have for others who want to make their own impact in the world? To determine something that came to me as a gift. And that was, and it came to me in a dream, actually. And the phrase is, are you a spectator or are you a participant? And I like questions and I thought I was a participant, but at that time I realized I was not engaging fully in life. And so the second time that question came to me was, are you a spectator or are you a participant? It's your choice. And there are times when we are spectators, and that's okay. I'm as happy in the audience as I am on stage. At the same time, what's my engagement? Am I truly participating? Am I hiding in some way? Am I, but if you've been given a gift and a nudge, ask that question. Are you truly participating to the fullest extent? Because when we do, it's like lying without a net. It can get a little scary, but it's supposed to be scary. It's okay. You can take care of it. You weren't given that that inspiration if you did not have the ability to fulfill it. Yes. And that sense of fear to like circle back to right how we started. <laughs> like don't let avoidance of that feeling of fear stop you. And, you know, we do have that little part of our brain who's going to be giving you reasons that feel like valid excuses that are just to keep you in your comfort zone and your life's not in danger. And so take the steps and don't, don't be stopped. Yes. You were put here for a reason and the world's waiting. You have an important value to bring to the world. I love well, that. Thank you so much. This has been such an amazing conversation. I really appreciate it.